Good morning, everybody. That was great. Congratulations. Awesome. Oh, so sad that Star Wars is over today. We're talking about Creed. Welcome. So good to see you here today. Uh, we are doing At The Movies. If you are new or relatively new, we're thrilled that you're here. We do something right over here called Grace in Five. Five minutes. Five minutes or less. Uh, we'll tell you everything you need to, need to know about this church in five minutes or less. Right, I'd love to meet you there right after this service is over. Uh, I want to just tell you briefly about what's going to happen next week because I'm very, very excited about next week. We're going to have an American Ninja Warrior on this stage. Some of, some of you watched Ninja Warrior this past week, and you saw Mike Chick, the American Ninja Lawyer, right? You saw him, and he, he made it through. He made it through. So he's going to be on this stage next week. We've got a lot of fun things. We've got a rock climbing wall outside for Father's Day. And I think we're going to have some uh, bona fide Ninja Warriors outside kind of manning that rock climbing wall. It's going to be really a fun time. And the focus next week, the focus next week is there's a Harvard study that has, uh, that has been going on for 75 years, and they have found out there is one key, one key to living a great life, and we're going to talk about that next week. You want to live a great life? There's one nail you got to hit, and we're going to focus on that nail next week. So I hope you come and consider bringing a friend. All right, this week, what are we talking about? We're talking about Creed. Rocky, who likes Rocky? Anybody? Rocky fans? Yo, here we go. Let's see him. There he is. So, Rocky 1, what happens in Rocky 1? And Rocky won, Rocky, right, the Italian stallion, he's living in Philadelphia, kind of his life is going nowhere, he's working for a loan shark. Randomly, he's chosen by the heavyweight champion in the world, what's his name? Apollo Creed, right? This random, to have a fight. And so they have this fight, and Rocky takes him all the way, all the way to the 15th round, and Apollo Creed, the champion, barely wins. That's Rocky 1, Rocky 2. All of this is important. To get us to where we're going today. All right, Rocky 2. There he is. Apollo against Rocky. Rocky 2. Uh, Rocky, most of the money that he made, the little bit of money that he made off of that fight is gone. It's quickly gone. Apollo Creed is criticized in the press badly. How could you? I mean, this is a nobody. How, and so anyway, so he challenged him to a rematch. They have a rematch. All the way to the final round, bam, both of them go to the deck, right? And they're scrambling in the 15th round, if you don't know boxing, so that it was 15 rounds is the end. They're both scrambling. Only Rocky makes it up, and so he's declared heavyweight champion of the world. That's how Rocky II ends. Let's move and change the music to Rocky III. Who is this guy in Rocky? Who is that guy? Clubber Lang, Clubber Lang, also known as Mr. T, Clubber Lang. So now Rocky, right, he's the heavyweight champion, he's defended his title, he's got fame, he's got fortune, he's thinking about retiring until this guy, Clubber Lang, calls him out, he insults Rocky's wife, who's, who's Rocky's wife? Yo, Adrian, yo, Adrian. So he, so man, Rocky's got a defender on her, so they have a fight, and you know what happens in the fight? Rocky gets knocked out, second round, but that's not the worst of it, is it? What's the worst of it? His beloved trainer, Mickey, dies right after the fight. It's terrible. So Rocky's got to defend his honor. He's got to defend Mickey's honor. He's going to have to fight Clubber again. Who trains him? Apollo Creed. Now his friend, Apollo Creed, trains him out in Los Angeles. Eye of the Tiger, they're running down the beaches of Los Angeles, right? It's really cool. It trains him. Rocky fights, knocks Clubber out third round wins. Let's go to Rocky IV. This is all very important. Rocky IV, who is it? Drago. Drago. Drago is like this 
manufactured uh, thing, right? He's this Russian champion. Now, Rocky wants time with his family, so he's taking time off, having time with his family, not worried about this. And so Drago says, well, I'll fight somebody. So he fights who? This is where it gets really important, everybody. He fights Apollo Creed in an exhibition match. And who dies in the ring? Apollo Creed. And whose arms does he die? In Rocky's arms, Apollo Creed dies. This is really important. And Rocky could have stopped the fight. Apollo's saying, don't stop the fight. You know, boom. So he dies. And there's Drago just like looking on. And so what happens is is Rocky, now he's got to fight to avenge his friend Apollo Creed's honor. So they have a fight. And where are they going to fight? Where and when? Moscow. Christmas Day, Moscow Christmas Day. And so Rocky is there, he's training, he's out in the country, little cabin, it's snowing, he's chopping wood, he's running up hills with like this wood on his back, right, and running in the snow, all this kind of, and where's Drago? Drago is in like this high-tech facility being injected with steroids, he's got all this roid rage inside of him, he's got all the probes on him, he's running there, he's all juiced up. They have this fight, Rocky is beaten so bad. He's never had a beating this bad in his life, but he refuses to quit. And by the time you get to the 15th round, even the Russians are cheering for Rocky. He wins everybody over. You can't help but love this guy, right? So they're cheering for him, and he ends up knocking Drago out. There's Rocky one, two, three, and four. We're going to flip all the way to seven. We're going to skip five and six. (laughs) Everything I just told you is incredibly important. Here we go, Creed. All right, there we are. Okay, there we are, Creed. So, Donnie Johnson on the left, you got Rocky there on the right. What happens in this uh, uh, movie called Creed? Donnie Johnson, notice this, he's the illegitimate child of Apollo Creed. It was an embarrassment to the, to the family. If you watch the movie, you'll see our own local Tony Kornheiser has a cameo in the thing, right? So he's there. He does a little piece. Oh, they're embarrassed. And so he never, you want to know, it's an embarrassment to the family. He's the illegitimate child of Apollo Creed. And where it starts is Donnie Johnson, ah, 10, 11, 12 years old in a juvenile detention facility. Of course, his father, Apollo, has died. We all know that. But his mother has now died in and out of foster care, fighting all the time. He's in a juvenile detention. And who comes and gets him out? Not Rocky. Everybody in the first service guessed Rocky. Who gets him out? Apollo's wife. She gets him out. She takes him to his home. She loves on him. The guy is very smart. He gets a great education. He's got a great job, a very promising future. He's, he's driving this really cool Mustang, and he's living in this mansion. Everything is right there for him. Nobody wants him to box. She doesn't want him to box because her husband died in the ring. Right? You don't have to do this. You, have this. you don't have to do this. But what does he do every weekend? He goes down to Tijuana and he boxes. Goes down to Tijuana and he's boxing, right? And finally he says, I'm throwing all this away. I'm throwing the job away. I'm throwing the mansion away. I'm throwing it all away. I'm going to go to Philadelphia. I'm going to live in this little tiny place, right? Because I'm following my what? My dream. And I don't want anybody to know. This is important. I don't want anybody to know who my father is. I don't want anybody to know who my father is. I'm going to do this on my own. So he fights on his own. He actually, uh, he, gets, he goes to Rocky, and uh, he's looking for a father figure. And so he says, yeah, hey, Rocky, will you train me? Rocky finally reluctantly agrees to train him. They have this big victory, and then people find out who he really is. They find out he's a creed. And so the champion, the light heavy champion, his name is Pretty Ricky Conlon, says, okay, I want to challenge you a match for the title, for the title, but you got to change your name to Creed. So he changes his name to Creed. Now everybody knows he's Creed and doesn't want to do it, but he changes his name to Creed. And everything he's worked so hard for is right there for him. But he's got one big problem. He's got a lot of bitterness inside of him. It's poisoning his life, the bitterness is, and the unforgiveness. And because of that, he self-sabotages his own life. Very similar to what Elijah does. All right, where's my man who's reading? Where's Jamie? Where's Rhino? Is he not in the house? 
Oh my gosh. He must have lost track of time. I'm going to read this. Here he is. He's come. Where is he? There you are, man. You just scaring me? I'm here. <laughs> I'm here. Okay. Same thing happens to Elijah. Listen closely. This is incredible. Go ahead. Take it away, Jamie. First Kings 18, 25 through 29, 36 through 38, and 19, 1 through 5. Now Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose one bull for yourselves and prepare it first, for you are many, and call on the name of your God, but put no fire under it. So they took the bull which was given them and prepared it and called on the name of Baal from morning even till noon, saying, O Baal, hear us. But there was no voice, no one answered. Then they leaped about the altar which they had made. And so it was at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Cry aloud, for he is God. Either he is meditating, or he is busy, or he is on a journey, or perhaps he is sleeping and must be awakened. So they cried aloud and cut themselves, as was their custom, with knives and lances, until the blood gushed out on them. And when midday was passed, they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice. But there was no voice, no one answered, no one paid attention. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah, the prophet, came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and I am your servant, that I have done all these things at your word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that you are Lord God, and that you, are, you have turned their hearts back to you again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering, and the wood and the stones and the dust, and it licked up the water that was in the trench. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, also how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a message to Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I don't make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life, and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he prayed that he might die, and said, It is enough. Now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. Then as he lay and slept under a broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. Thank you, Jamie. We're going to talk about forgiveness today, and what I'm going to ask you to do is to make a very strategic life decision today about forgiveness. It's a very, very difficult thing for most of us uh, to do. And in this world, everyone, from the moment we are born, we are presented with all kinds of opportunities, situations where we are wounded and we're hurt. And it's so easy for our hearts to get filled with bitterness and pain because this life scars us. Some of us more than others, but all of us experience this. All of us have to deal with the pain of being wounded by somebody and dealing and struggling with unforgiveness that is in our hearts. Now, uh, just last night, you think about the stuff that happens in this world, right? Just last night, we just had the worst mass shooting in American history down at a gay bar in Orlando, Florida, 50 people were murdered. And I bring that up because we want to pray about that right now, but I also bring it up 
to say that we live in an environment where there's constant pain, there's constant suffering, and we're just, it's coming in from the moment we're born. We're in this environment, uh, and we need help. There's only one way out of this, and that's Christ's way out of it, and that's a path of forgiveness by the power of God's Spirit at work in our lives. So let's take a moment. Let's pray about what we're going to talk about today. It's going to be very difficult. And let's pray about this terrible thing that has happened, okay? Heavenly Father, uh, our hearts are heavy as we think about this terrible shooting that took place last night. Lord, the worst mass shooting in American history. Father, help us. Lord, I'm reminded of your words in Scripture that says, if your people will humble themselves and pray that, God, you will bring healing to our land. Well, Lord, we know that our land needs healing. Help us, Lord. Please have mercy on us. As we talk about this subject this morning of forgiveness, some real personal things are going to come up. We're going to think about people. We're going to think about situations. It's going to be really painful. And we need your divine intervention Because, Father, unless you help us get the poison, the bitter root out of our hearts, we will continue to defeat our own life. We'll sabotage ourselves. Be with us. May your presence be heavy upon this place in each one of us right now, Father, in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, I want to say before we get, we're going to totally focus on forgiveness, but I I need to address this one thing. I can't help myself. Some of you have read, you know, you've heard Jamie read this, and you're like, wow, this is really a fantastic thing. This, you know, this prophets of Baal and Elijah and this big showdown on Mount Carmel. And why does the Bible have like these random events of this, you know, grandiose stuff? I mean, what's the purpose? Is, Is it all really necessary? Does that stuff really happen? I need you to know this. Listen, I'm bringing this up because a lot of people have problems when they read the Bible. Like, well, what's this all of a sudden out of nowhere? It's just too much. It's not a random event, everybody. This happened on Mount Carmel, which overlooks the Jezreel Valley. Has anybody ever heard Armageddon? Has anybody ever heard that before? Armageddon? It's a movie, too. It's a movie, too, right? Right? Bruce Willis, am I correct? Ben Affleck, right? Armageddon. Armageddon is the Greek word to Megiddo, the Mount of Megiddo, Armageddon. It's the war to end all wars takes place in the Jezreel Valley. This is a mini reenactment of the war that will end all wars. That piece of real estate is the most contested piece of real estate in the history of the world. Think about this. Armageddon, this thing with Elijah, Mount Carmel, prophets of Baal going after each other. It's the most contested. Alexander the Great wanted that peace. There's a road that ran right down that connected three continents, a land bridge. Everybody wanted that road. Why? Last week? Anybody? Money. Money. You ever wonder how King David all of a sudden got rocketed to this fame and fortune and money all over that? He owned the road. The first thing he did when he took over, I'm owning the road. You own the road, you own the toll, toll, right? If you own the toll, then you do what? You make money. His son Solomon made even more money. Alexander the Great wanted, Napoleon fought for it, the British fought for it, uh, the Persians fought for it, the Egyptians. Every, it is considered the most contested piece of real estate in the history of our world. And the Bible says that Armageddon will take place in that valley. This is not a random event. I just need you to know that. This is not why I'm I'm dying to talk about this, but I'm not going to talk about it because I'm going to talk about forgiveness. (laughs) Okay, I just had to get that out. I'm sorry. 
All right, rejection is a very bitter pill. So Elijah has this, I mean, three years of famine. He told, Elijah, he told King Ahab, and now he has this kind of like this great victory. He's like, oh, I told you so, almost moment, right? And, and so King Ahab, who's like the father, a king in a country, he's like a father figure, everybody. So the father figure, and we don't know who Elijah's parents are, his father figure, you, oh, thank you, Elijah, for doing this. But instead of him doing that, you know, your expectations are everything. You, expect, you expected something out of your life. You expected something out of your family. You expected something out of your father. And his father didn't stand up for him. And instead of a, hey, King Ahab come along and say, hey, thank you so much, Elijah. Instead, Jezebel comes along and says, I'm going to kill you. And instead of Ahab, the father, standing up for him, he just, he just lets her, yeah, terrible. Spoken bad about again. The wounds of a father, very deep. He's wounded deeply. Now he's wounded. He's bitter. And he's like, goes off under a broom tree. Why does the Bible tell us stuff like that? Broom tree. I'll tell you why. Broom tree is big enough for one person. He's there all by himself. One person. And he said, I'm done. Elijah. We're talking Elijah, everybody. I'm done. I want to die. He's asking God to kill him. Do you think he's depressed? He is very down. We collect wounds in life. Creed, Donnie Johnson, wounded deeply, deeply by his father. Elijah here, wounded deeply. We have a great uh, blessing in our congregation because uh, Robin McDonald goes here. Robin McDonald works uh, for HHS, and she's uh, in charge of the marriage and uh, fatherhood program there. So I called her this past week. I said, hey, Robin, I just, can you give me some stats since you have all the stats? What role does a loving and involved father play? And what role when a father's not loving and not involved, does it, does, it, does it have like this huge, she said, oh my gosh. It's off the charts. The impact that it makes. She said, when a father is loving and involved, a person's life significantly just goes better. Life is just better. Everything about life is just better. What happens when they're unloving and non-involved? Five times the average suicide rate. Five times five times the average, 32 times the average incarceration rate, and a dramatic increase in depression, Elijah's depressed, a dramatic increase in depression and in anxiety. This is Elijah's big moment. He's ready to throw it all away. Creed, the movie, we're going to look at here in just a second. It's his big moment. It's his dream. It's what he's been working for. He's ready to throw everything away. Everything that he's worked for, he's ready to throw it away all away. He's gone. He is, he is, he is asked Rocky to train him. Rocky's trained him. He's got this shot for the title. And then Rocky is diagnosed with cancer after he's made this agreement to fight for the title. And he goes, Rocky, Rocky's a tough guy. Rocky says, uh, I'm not going to get treated because Adrian, my wife had cancer. She died. I saw that. I don't want to see it again. I'm not going to be treated. And Donnie's like, hey, no, no, no. We're family. You've got, we're family. Like he calls Rocky his uncle. You got to do this. He's like, I'm not going to do it. And then Rocky says this to them, and this is what triggers him. Think about the triggers that we all have. He says, look, we're not family. I'm just a trainer. I'm just training you. And that causes, that trigger. You think about the arc of your life. You think about the arc of other people's lives, and you see where if we don't get rid of the bitterness and unforgiveness, that we keep making like this self-sabotaging behavior, this self-defeating decisions that we make in life. And he makes a very, on the, on the brink of this, he makes a huge Bad decision. Let's watch the clip. 
Okay, in case you didn't know, that's the last thing you want to do before you get ready to have a title fight. You want to break out in a fight with somebody else, right? When you're training to be the light heavyweight champion of the world and your dream is coming true and you bust out in a fight, why did he do it? He called him what? Did you catch it? Baby Creed. Baby Creed. That triggered him. And I am again going to ask you to make a strategic life decision today. If, if, if we don't get the unforgiveness out of our hearts, the things that we collect, we will just keep sabotaging our own lives, and we don't want to do that. So this is exactly what he does here. Now, this next scene I'm going to show you, it's in a jail cell. So Rocky finds out, and he comes to visit. And what, we made a video this past week that we put up on Facebook, and what I called Rocky in the video was a boxing glove wearing Yoda, okay? Because uh, he just gives this incredible piece of advice to Donnie Johnson. It's, it's fantastic. Now, some of you uh, are going to have a hard time understanding what Rocky's saying. It's okay. I'm, I'm very proficient in, in Rocky language, so I'm going to interpret afterwards, all right? Yo, you know what I'm saying? Okay, so just watch. Let's just watch. It's, very, it's very good. It's life-changing, actually. Okay, that, that is really, really good advice. In case you couldn't catch it, he says, you've got to forgive him. Who's he talking about? Forgive who? His father. He's deeply wounded by his father. He says, you're caught in the shadow. You're limiting your own life. You've got to step out of that shadow. And as long as we have unforgiveness and bitterness, we're just going to keep throwing a wrench in our own dreams and our own plans. Please look at the arc of people's lives. Look at the arc of your life. Do you see where you... And then all of a sudden you make a decision. Why are you making those decisions? Why do other people make those decisions when we have... This is a strategic life decision that we have to forgive. It's really important. I'm going to go after one thing in the, in the closing moments here this morning. Okay, just one thing. There's a lot of things we could talk about, uh, about steps towards forgiveness and they're very important. Uh, I can, you know, counselors are awesome. They're great coaches. There's great learning there, and you should avail yourself to that. Please, please do. There's a book written, in case you're interested in practical steps, or some people consider it one of the best books ever written. It's called Forgive and Forget by Lewis Schmeeds. Forgive and Forget by Lewis Schmeeds. I want to highly recommend that to you. I'm going to go after just one thing this morning, and here's the reason why. I know in my head, because I've read enough about people's lives, I've read the Bible enough that I see, unless I get that bitter root out of me, I'm actually poisoning myself. Like, I don't want to, I know in my head I should forgive somebody, and in my heart I don't want to. I know I should, but I can't because my heart's like stopping me. It's standing, I'm like, I don't, I want to, I want to hurt them. Like, it makes me feel good that I'm bitter because it makes me feel like I'm doing something. I'm punishing them somehow. Actually, I'm punishing myself, but I don't want to. And what I actually really need, I need, an, I, I need a divine intervention. I need an act of God. I need God to, like, work in my heart. We see here in this story, Elijah, God just treats him so loving and so patient and so kind. He's wanting to die. He's gone off. God never told him to head all the way south to the end of Israel. That's where he goes, like, running as far as... God never told him. He's done his own thing for the first time in this story. He's, like, gone off the rails. He's gone totally rogue. He's doing his own thing. He's praying to die, and God doesn't rebuke him. God doesn't say, what are you doing? doesn't do that. God just so lovingly and gently. God's like feeding him a meal. And then God shows up in his power like an earthquake and a wind. But then, then what happens? This gentle whisper. You should read it in the story. It's amazing. This gentle whisper. And that's like, that's like the gentle working of God in our hearts to get rid of that bitter root. 
Corey ten, Corey ten Boom. Anybody heard of Corey Ten Boom before? Right? The Hiding Place. Great movie, great book. Nazi Europe, right? World War II. Uh, Corey Ten Boom and her family, the Ten Boom family, is a Dutch family, and they are hiding Jewish people in their home, and they saved lots of Jewish people in their home for a very long time, and then somebody ratted them out. And when they did, they went to, they went to, they went to a concentration camp. Her and her sister, Betsy, Betsy died there. It was a terrible, it was a very, very terrible thing, and I'm not going to belabor the point of all the horrific events that took place at that concentration camp, but, but, but Corey was treated horribly by one particular guard there, just terribly humiliated so badly. After the war was over, they got out, and uh, she was actually asked to come to, to Germany to speak on what subject? Forgiveness. And so she's there in Germany in 1947, actually in the basement of a church in Munich, and she's talking about forgiveness. She knows it in her head, of course, we've got to forgive this dark cloud hanging over Germany. And she speaks and she gets done and everybody's slowly shuffling out of the room and she sees this one guy, he's got a big smile on his face, he's coming right at her. Who is he? He's the guard. In her head, she said, yes, I know. Now, she's written about it, she's talked a lot about it, she's no longer living, but you get a lot of viewpoints into what's going on when you hear her talk about it, you see her write about all the stuff that she's feeling in that moment. She said, oh, yes, I know right here I should. But you know what she said? I love her honesty. She said, I hate him. I want to kill him. I just spoke about forgiveness, but this guy, I want to see him hurt and dead right now. And I identify with that so much. In my head, I know it's the best thing. It's the best thing for my life. It'll keep me from sabotaging my own life. It'll keep me going like this instead of going like this all the time. And she looks and she says, oh my gosh. He sticks his hand out. He says, I've received Jesus Christ as my Savior. I found forgiveness. I need, you to, I need to hear it from your mouth that you forgive me. He sticks his hand out. And she just, she doesn't want to. She doesn't want to. And so here's what she does. She just says, Jesus, help me. And then she takes this huge leap of courage. Forgiveness, everybody, takes a tremendous amount of courage. A tremendous amount of courage. She sticks her hand out. Jesus, help me. And then she says this. This is, what, this is what I want you to hear if you don't hear anything else today. She says, it was like warm oil came down out of heaven and it touched her heart. And without that warm oil, she could have never forgiven. It healed her heart and she was able to let it go. It was, a divine, it was divine intervention. It was an act of God. And when I, when she told that, when I read that story, heard that story, I said, yes. I know it here, but I can't do it here. I need God. Like Elijah in the gentle whisper working in my heart, I need God. I need that warm oil coming down out of heaven, divine intervention, so that I will stop the self-defeating behavior in my own life. This is what we see happening here in this story that Elijah needs and Donnie Johnson needs. Acts 1.8 says this. It says this, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. Witnesses for who? Witnesses for Jesus Christ. Who was Jesus Christ? He was a forgiver. He forgave. If I'm going to be a forgiver like Jesus, I need the power of the Holy Spirit, it says, in order to do that. The word power here is the same Greek word we get for dynamite. So we're talking something really, really strong. I need oil from heaven, power from the Spirit to work in my heart. I know it here, but it's not working here to get the bitter root out of my life. God will help me. Romans 8, 26 says, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. 
helps us in our weakness. Jesus tells this great story in Matthew chapter 18. He's talking about a man who just couldn't forgive. And at the end of the story, he says something so important, everybody. Here's the thing. He says this. Because this man refused to give, for, forgive, he's going to be handed over to the jailers who will do what? Who will torture him. You know, when we think about forgiveness, we think about, you know what? I don't want to forgive because I want to keep punishing the other person. In actuality, who we're really punishing is ourselves. And we need to stop punishing ourselves. We need to stop sabotaging our own lives. We need to get the bitterness out because we don't deserve it. We don't deserve to keep limiting and killing our dreams because of the bitterness that's in our hearts. We have to release and forgive. And so we think about other people, but really it's about us. It's about us that need to be touched and changed and need to be released. The word forgive means to release. Now, the music team's going to come up and uh, they're going to help us with, uh, with just a wonderful song here at the end. And I want to I tell you in conclusion, I want to tell you a story. I want to tell you a story about Alexander Hamilton. And if I can, I just want to use this big chain. All right? As I said a moment ago, you know, when I'm thinking about, when I'm thinking about forgiveness, I, 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 I don't want to forgive the other person. I just don't. I mean, because what I'm thinking about is I don't want to release them. This is what I'm thinking. Well, if I forgive them, I'm releasing them. I don't want to release them. I want to, I want to beat them. I'm going to nail them. I don't forgive them. Forgiveness is not about releasing somebody else. The person that's being released in forgiveness is ourselves. What's happening is, is we're bound. And what I've found in my own life, I don't know if you found this, some people, forgiveness comes real easy, but for the vast majority of people, forgiveness comes very, very difficult. It's a huge challenge. And what I found is, I can try here all my might and I can't break this chain. It's too much. But God can. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. God can break this chain. He can break this chain. I need divine intervention. I need to act to God. I need the warm oil that Corey Ten Boom got out of heaven to flow into my heart, which will help me to forgive. And so, in conclusion, I just want to talk about Alexander Hamilton for a moment. I mean, he's, he's the rage right now, isn't he? Right? What, what, what dollar bill? $10 bill, right? What saved him? What saved him? Because they were getting ready to take him off the $10, but what saved him? Um, a musical. A musical that set a record on Broadway. What was it, 16 Tony Awards or whatever? A musical. Think about that, everybody. Here, here's the thing. If you, if you have not read Ron Chernow's book, his biography on Hamilton, get it, read it. I highly, highly recommend it. Matter of fact, Hamilton is coming to D.C., Kennedy Center, in 2017. You get it now, read it now. You'll be the coolest person in your office place. Right? You know all this stuff about Hamilton. Hamilton was brilliant, everybody. I mean, just brilliant. A voracious reader. A prolific writer. The first secretary of the treasury. A financial wizard. He, as much as anybody else, had influence over our U.S. Constitution. He, the most influential person in American history, the most influential person in America that never became president of the United States. He was aide-de-camp to General George Washington during the Revolutionary War. And when Washington became president and named him as his Secretary of the Treasury, many people believed that actually Hamilton, even though as Washington was president, was the most powerful person at that time in our history. That's how important Alexander Hamilton is to our country. That's how bright and how brilliant he was. But it didn't begin that way, did it? You think about the Caribbean, right? You think about the Caribbean, such a beautiful place. And you think about how much pain came out of the Caribbean. He was born in the Caribbean. 
He was an illegitimate son, much like Donnie Johnson in our movie we're talking about today. Illegitimate son, and people reminded him of that fact all the time. Something that he never got over. People knew about it. So they keep bringing it up to him. And he walked down the streets of the Caribbean. And they were reminded of the fact and hurt it, wounded deeply. Could never get that bitterness, could never get that wound out of his heart. His father was never around. His father left him in tremendous debt, the financial wizard of the United States of America that made the United States of America the most powerful economic force in the history of the world, Alexander Hamilton. His father left him in extreme debt. At the age of eight, he had to go to work full-time, full-time. By the time he was 14, this guy was so smart. This guy was so brilliant, everybody. He was running a shipping company. He didn't own it, but he ran it. He was telling seasoned sea captains what to do at the age of 14. So they shipped him off to New York City, where he became the toast of the town. He was brilliant. But he had tremendous lapses in judgment. He had tremendous self-defeating behavior. He made tremendous mistakes. He sabotaged his own dream over and over and over again. Why did he do that? Why did he do that? What kept him down? You know what hurt him so deeply? What hurt him so deeply is that his father had abandoned him and his father left him penniless. His father left him in debt. and His dad was always in debt. And so the financial wizard of the United States of America was always in debt. How's that possible? How's that possible? He was always in debt. He's never going to abandon his family. He's never going to leave his family in debt. What did he end up doing? You know, because he was so sensitive, because the wound was so deep, because the bitterness was so powerful, and there was so much poison in his heart, he was always so thin-skinned, and everybody always knew it. And even though he was in politics, he couldn't get over the fact of his childhood. And people saw that. They saw it was a button, so they pushed that button as much as they could all the time. John Adams called him the bastard brat. Thomas Jefferson called him something very, very similar. So they all recognized him, and so they just, they just pound that nail on him, pound that nail on him. And so the sitting, sitting vice president of the United States of America challenged him to a duel. Can you imagine there was a time in our country when the vice president of the United States was in a duel? Maybe they should bring it back. Right? Challenged him to duel. And even though Hamilton no longer believed in dueling, even though he thought it was wrong, he thought it was theologically wrong. Oh, Hamilton's got a lot to say about theology. It's awesome. Read the book. Even though he thought it was wrong, even though his friends begged him not to, he had to. He had to defend his honor. He had to. Even though his son was killed, Philip, a few years prior to that, in a duel, he still had to do it. Even though it broke his heart, he still had to do it. And so he went to a duel in Weehawken, New Jersey, with Aaron Burr. And he died. And he died. And he died. And what did he do when he died? He senselessly abandoned his family and left them under a mountain of debt. Everybody, come on. If you can't see the line that's marking right through that thing, he did the same thing as his father. He made the same mistakes. Self-defeating behavior. It was senseless. Our country missed out. His family missed out. Everybody missed out from a brilliant, brilliant man who was dogged by foolish decisions from time to time in his life. We can't do that. Look over the arc of your life. Are you defeating yourself? Here's the thing. This is what I realize about myself. 
Maybe you're the same way, I don't know. But here's what I realize about myself. These chains are strong. And I know in my head I should break the chains. I know in my head that I will continue to defeat myself unless I break the chains, right? But I can't do it. I need the warm oil of heaven to come down in God who is so powerful where the spirit of the Lord is there is freedom. I need God to snap those chains from me, right? Because only God can work in that powerful way in my heart. And this is what I want to talk about in closing. I want to ask you to have the courage to ask God to work in your heart, to send down that warm oil, to get out that bitter root, to, for an act of God in your heart so that you won't keep this self-defeating behavior. It'll change the trajectory of your life. Listen, quit punishing yourself. You think you're giving poison to the person who's hurt you when actually you're drinking the poison to yourself. Stop drinking the poison. Allow the Spirit of God to work in your life and to set you free. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you for every heart that's in this room. I thank you, God, for what you're going to do in these next moments. Lord, we're asking for the warm oil of heaven to flow down. We're asking that you would work powerfully and gently and lovingly in our hearts and that you would set us free and let us become everything that you have called us to be and stop the self-defeating behavior lord in the name of jesus christ amen thanks for listening to this week's message grace community church a church for people who don't go to church meets on sundays at 9 30 a.m and 11 a.m in arlington virginia connect with us anytime at trygrace.org